What what a privilege it is for us to gather together here at First Norfolk on Kinsville or here at First Norfolk on Volvo, and and, uh, it is a joy to have so many skilled musicians who help us each week uh, in our orchestra, rhythm section, uh, rhythm section at both locations, Uh, and it is a privilege to have so many, but Perhaps you're one of those so many that have not found your niche yet or found your place, uh, and God has gifted you or uh, given you, as you see it, a gift. You know, not everybody agrees on what you have as a gift. I, I've learned that. If, if I ever go on American Idol or anything like that, just be a friend and say, don't. Uh, but uh, no, you, you have a gift and you have a sense of calling if God is gifted you in in particular way, whether it's uh, playing an instrument or singing, I want to encourage you uh, to find uh, one of our staff at First Norfolk on Volvo or First Norfolk here at Kinsville. Uh, Find one of our staff and just let them know that you have a a desire to plug in uh, into worship leadership, uh, and uh, we would love to Uh, pursue that with you. It gives us a great privilege to see God's people equipped for service and ministry, and maybe that's something that God would have you be a part of uh, uh, in the days and weeks ahead. All right, so if you have Bibles, turn uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, This is the story of David and Goliath. And uh, I love this story. While you're turning there, uh, remind you that we as a church, we pray every day at one o'clock for one minute for one thing. And, uh, and, and that is our commitment as a church family. There's something powerful about a church that prays together, even though it may seem like a small thing to pray for one minute every day when you have over 2,000 people praying for one minute every day. Uh, for one singular thing, it will make a difference, and we believe that to be true. So this week, I want to invite you to pray for this one thing. There is someone that you know, uh, that you work with, go to school with, that you, uh, is, that's in your neighborhood, maybe one of your family members. Uh, you know someone who is far from God, separated from God, and they need to have a friendship with God. Will you commit yourself this week to pray at one o'clock for one minute uh, for that one person that God would use the events of this week, maybe, uh, maybe uh, use your uh, interaction with them or uh, maybe an invitation to bring them to worship with you uh, next week? Uh, use something uh, to uh, open their eyes to see their need of Jesus and that God would draw them to himself, and they would find life through faith in Christ. Will you pray for that one person? Next Sunday when we gather together, uh, we're going to share the name of that one person with whom, uh, for whom we prayed, and then we're going to switch it off a little bit. And, and after we share the name of the person for whom we prayed, then you're going to pass that on to somebody next week to pray for that same person. Uh, just be a different voice. Uh, and, uh, and so as we continue to do this, we're going to see that that uh, God will honor the prayers of his people. So uh, let's commit ourselves to pray for this one thing for one minute uh, every day at one o'clock. Pray for that one person in our life who is far from God who needs to know Jesus. All right? Uh, All in agreement everywhere. Everybody in agreement? Yeah? Yeah? All right, good. Um, 
In your copy of Scripture, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have the story of David and Goliath. Now, this is one of my favorite stories. In fact, it's one of the most famous stories of Scripture. Uh, People know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, You know how David, a young shepherd boy, comes to where the uh, army of Israel is encamped against the army of the Philistines. The, The king, who is Saul at that time, is cowering in the shadows along with the Uh, the army of Israel as Goliath the giant stands and ridicules the army of Israel and the living God uh, whom they are supposedly serving. Uh, David, a little shepherd boy, young man, uh, who just earlier had been anointed the king by the prophet Samuel. Uh, Even though Saul is still king, David is God's choice to be the king. Uh, David comes in, he's the youngest of the sons of Jesse, uh, who live in Bethlehem, and he hears Goliath stand and ridicule the armies of Israel, and he wonders what in the world is going on. I remember my dad sitting on my bed when I was just a little boy, uh, my brother and I uh, shared a room, and dad would come in and he would tell, I'm sure he told other stories from scripture, but this is the one I remember. And he would describe it this way. He said, and David walked down to the brook and he picked up five smooth stones and he put them in his pouch. And then he walked over to where uh, the, uh, the giant uh, was standing, taunting God and the armies of God. And David put that one, sm- one smooth stone in his sling. This is what slings look back back then. And he put one smooth stone in his sling and he took it and he began to whirl it over his head. And he whirled it and he whirled it. And this is my dad talking while, while he's talking. And he whirled it and he whirled it and he whirled it and he whirled it. And his caught it got, got faster and faster as he whirled it and whirled it. And the giant was laughing and laughing. My dad continued to tell the story and he's waving this over his head. And they tell and tell and tell until he let it go. And the stone left the sling and found the soft spot of the giant's head right on his forehead and it sunk down deep and the giant lay down dead and God gave David the victory. Now that's the story of David and Goliath. Now, how does that apply to us today? And that's really what I want to talk about. See, many times we'll talk about slaying giants. And, and certainly, certainly there is something in this story about uh, God giving us the power to overcome insurmountable odds when we live by faith and courage. There's something about that here in this story. Uh, but in order to get to that point, you have to, you have to go to the backdrop What was the difference between David and Saul? Why is it that Saul was cowering in the shadows and David uh, determined he would be victorious with a stone and a sling? What was it about David? Was it just that David was a brave uh, person and Saul was a coward? No, not really. There was something more profound, something more uh, more in-depth than that. And, And to see this, you have to turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 13. In 1 Samuel chapter 13... Remember, Saul is the king. Now, Saul looked the part of a king. He was taller than the rest of the people. Uh, He had muscles upon his muscles. He was a a strong man, and he looked like a warrior. He looked like the kind of guy that should be king, and that's why the people chose Saul to be their king. And David, however, was just a shepherd boy. I mean, a youth. He was just a kid. And, and he didn't have anything about him that, that really screamed, that should be the king. 
Saul, on the other hand, the people saw him and they said, that should be our king. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13, however, we find that Saul's heart made him unfit to be the king of God's people. Saul says, behaved foolishly. You know what that means? To behave foolishly is not just to do dumb things, although we all do dumb things at different times. Behave foolishly, uh, the Hebrew term there is a picture of someone who determines uh, to behave in a way for self-interest rather than God's honor. To, to behave in such a way that I am uh, making choices for self rather than for God. That's foolish. That's just a quick lesson for all of us. Anytime we decide that we're going to behave foolishly, it's not about doing dumb things. It's just about doing stuff where you are choosing for you rather than for God. We'll get back to that in a bit. But uh, just Saul behaved foolishly. And then look at verse 14. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. And look, look what the prophet says about God. He says, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Now that is a heart that's fit for a king. A person who lives their life after God's own heart. Now what, what that means, it means that, that our hearts are in sync with God. That, that is what set David apart. He, he's the one that was anointed king, and, and just a few chapters later, uh, he's anointed king because that's the one that God chose. Why did God choose David rather than Saul? Because Saul uh, behaved in a way that was out of sync with God's heart. David, however, behaved in a way that was in sync with God's heart. He was a man after God's own heart. His life sought God's will. Now, that really is the point of this story with David and Goliath. The point of the story is not that we can kill giants, although we can. The point of the story is that God's grace gives us a life in sync with himself. And God's grace equips us to have a heart that flows after his heart. It, it's, it's the opportunity that God gives us by giving us a new heart. Now, in Ezekiel, uh, the prophet Ezekiel, God, through the prophet Ezekiel, God promises his people. He said, there's going to be a day where I'm going to take away, I'm going to remove your stony rebel heart, and I'm going to replace it with a heart that beats in sync with mine. I'm going to remove your rebel heart, and I'm going to replace it with a heart etched by my will. Uh, and, and that is the promise through the prophet Ezekiel. It is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is God, left heaven's throne and became a man, son of David and son of God. Jesus, who is fully God, yet became a man, came on a mission to show us what it looks like to live a life in sync with God's will, to live a life after God's own heart. See, Jesus lived perfectly after God's own heart. David didn't, but Jesus did. 
Jesus lived perfectly after God's own heart, and, 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 and even though he was righteous in every way, pure in every form, even though Jesus had absolutely zero sin, as one who was pursuing God's heart and God's will, Jesus determined that he would let go any entitlements that he might possibly have claim to. And he went to a cross and he died for sinners like you and me. To provide forgiveness for our sin. To give us a new heart. And Jesus died for sinners to remove that rebel heart that we have created by our sin where we're separated from God, dead in our sin and our trespass. We have in us a stony heart of flesh a rebel heart etched with our desires, polluted by sin and self-interest. That's who we were. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent Jesus to forgive our sin, to remove that heart of uh, that stony rebel heart and replace it with a heart that beats in tune with the will of the Father. That's the kind of heart that you have. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus, if you have received forgiveness of your sin through the uh, death of Jesus on a cross in your place and his resurrection from the dead to give you a new life, you are made brand new. That old has been passed away and now all things have become new. And that newness includes a new heart. You no longer have that heart of, uh, 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 that rebel heart against God's will. Now you have a heart that has been etched by God's will. You have a heart, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a heart that beats in tune, in sync with the will of God. Okay? Now that's who you are. That's not who you will become. That's who you are. You have a heart that beats in sync with God. God's grace gives you this heart to know his will, to pursue his will, you have a life after God's own heart. That's who you are. That's good news, but here's the problem. If that's who I am, then why am I not living like that? I'm telling you, that's who you are. The Bible says so. You are covered in the righteous robes of Jesus. You have been forgiven your sin. You have been given a new heart. You've been, according to John 3, you've been given a whole new life. 2 Corinthians 5, you're a new creation. This is who we are. We're followers of Jesus, so why are we not living like it? Why do we return to that old rebel heart? And how do we keep from doing it? How can we be a people? who live a life after God's own heart. Not just with our words, but with our life. How can you and I live in such a way that we are pursuing God's heart with everything that we are? I think that is more in line what the story of David and Goliath teaches. It's not that we can slay a giant. It's everything that needs to take place before we slay a giant. So what is, the, what is the message that we glean from this? Well, if you begin at, at the very beginning in, John, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 11, you see that, that Goliath is confronting the children of Israel, and he stands there. He's nine feet, nine inches tall. His armor is hundreds of pounds. His, his uh, sword is probably as tall as I am. His 
uh, spear, his javelin, uh, looks like a railroad tie. This is Goliath, and he's standing there, and he's not only does he look big, he talks big. He, he boasts about himself. He says, I'll take on the fiercest warrior that Israel has to offer, and I will put them down. And Israel just cowers in fear. Saul should have been the guy. In the culture of the day, Saul should have been the guy. When the warrior screams out and defies the army uh, of the living God, Saul the king representing the living God should have gone out into battle, but Saul didn't. He was hiding along with everybody else. And what do we learn from this? I mean, so much so, look at verse 11. Uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 11, it says, uh, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, Goliath, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So what do we learn here? Well, if we're going to be people after God's own heart with our words not uh, with our words and with our life, um, you've heard it said that the eyes are the window to the soul, right? You've heard that. If you haven't heard it, Google it. It's really a famous little quippy kind of thing. The eyes are the window to the soul. I mean, I even sound smarter saying it. And say it. The eyes. You know, it, I practice looking in the mirror. The eyes are the window to the soul, right? Uh, I, you've heard that. Hey, can I amend that a little bit? Um, focus gives us the trajectory of our heart. Our focus shows us what is important to our heart. If we want to know if our heart is beating in sync with the living God, if our life is, a, is in sync with God's heart, if we want to know, then let's just ask, what's our focus? What is it that we need to see about our focus? I'm not saying change your focus yet. I'm just saying evaluate your focus. For the children of Israel, for Saul, their focus was real simple. Saul's heart had been polluted by self-interest and sin, and that's all he could see. And so Saul, who is supremely concerned about himself, as are we all. Let's not play this game where we act like we're not concerned about ourselves. I mean, I'm concerned about myself. I'm concerned about my family. I'm concerned about me, myself, and my. I, I would be untruthful, less than authentic, if I didn't just go ahead and tell you that. Yeah, there's a part of me that screams out self-interest. But that, even though that may be a response that we have in life and, a, and, and as followers of Jesus, people with a new heart, that can't be our focus. That, that cannot be our focus. We need to check our focus. For Saul, his self-interest and his sin dominated his thought process, so much so that when the giant shows up, all he can think about is self-preservation. That's what, that's what a wrong focus does. See, a wrong focus is a heart, shows a heart that's been polluted by self-interest and sin that is concerned primarily about self-preservation. I'm, I'm all concerned about me and what's in it for me and what's best for me. That's the wrong focus. That's the focus of a heart that is out of sync with God's heart. Hear this. When the first and the primary question we ask is, what's best for Eric? 
then our hearts are out of sync with God. If if that's the first and primary question, what's best for me? That's out of sync. That's the wrong focus. Is that the focus of your life? That's why the, 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 the voice, the bravado of the giants sounds so large to us. It's because all we care about or the primary focus is what, what am I going to protect myself? And maybe it's not self-interest uh, or sin. Maybe it's just uh, you see God as primarily irrelevant in your everyday life. That's what happens with the wrong focus. With the wrong focus, you focus on maybe not yourself. Maybe it's just your circumstance. Oh, my circumstance is so big. Eric, you don't know how bad my circumstance is. If you only understood how big the monsters were in my life, the lions and tigers and bears, oh my. If you only understood how I am walking down the yellow brick road and I'm headed to nowhere good and the wicked witch of the West is after me and flying monkeys are going to surround me and I'm dying in a petal of sleep, uh, in, a, in a pasture of, 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 of uh, little flowers that make me go to sleep and I don't see anything good, a tornado began this journey, a tornado's going to end my life, I am in trouble. Eric, don't you understand? And I would say, that's no fairy tale. That may be real life, but can I just tell you, if God is not the primary hero in that story, then your focus is wrong. If God is not seen as the primary actor in your story, then your focus is wrong. If all you can see is the giant, then check your focus. You see, once we check our focus, we see what our primary focus is on, it shows the trajectory of our heart. And it shows that perhaps we're leaning into the wrong things, and all we can see is Goliath and hear his voice, and we fail to see and to hear the voice of the living God. And that's when we need to review, renew our view. Uh, we, need to, we need to renew our view. We need to uh, just go ahead and, and change the way we're seeing ourselves and our circumstance. We need to renew our view And understand that God is working for the good of those who belong to him. We need to renew our view. Do you realize that the God of the universe is not absent and he is not dead and he is not on vacation and he's not snoozing in slumber, but the God of the universe is actively engaged in every aspect of your life and mine. He is actively operating here and now and forever. No matter construction, no matter deconstruction, no matter drama, no matter disaster, no matter delight, whatever it is that we're facing, he is the living God, not dead, not absent, not silent. Well, do you see him as that? Or do you see your problems as bigger than that? If your daily diet is consumed with uh, the bad news that swirls around us, and if we begin to perceive that, like Israel, that our only hope for the future rests in a political solution, if that is your idea of the solution, then, friends, God is nothing more than a footnote, and we need to renew our view. 
If all we can do is see uh, our problems and the best solution to our problems, some man-made invention like a, a, a javelin the size of a, a railroad tie. And we say the only way that I'm going to gain victory in life is if I get an instrument that can beat that Goliath. When we begin to see that, that our life uh, is, 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 uh, is consumed with all these enemy forces and God is relatively irrelevant because we don't consider him really that involved. You see, a heart that beats in sync with the will of God is a heart that sees Jesus as the solution in every way. Not in a side hustle kind of way, not in a, a, a footnote kind of way, not as a codicil to a command, but rather he is the main way that we find victory. Here's how David described it. All the people are just cowering in fear, and David comes up, and, and he's like surprised. He's like, uh, look, look, at, look at verse 26. He says, he says, what shall be done for the man who kills this silly Philistine and takes away reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The armies of the living God. David, even though he was a boy, understood that God was more powerful than a giant. And God was not, uh, not absent. He wasn't, he wasn't silent. He wasn't dead. He wasn't sleeping. But God was active and engaged in this process. And so David says, we need to see God at work, for he is at work. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Do you really believe that? That he is working right now. Instead of focusing on your giant, and I know, look, I do too. My sin and circumstance can be looming over me. My, my, my struggle, my pain, my drama, my despair, all those things can be looming over me. I understand what it means to set our gaze on that, but I don't want to keep my gaze on that. I want to look to Jesus, who is the only one who can set me free from that. I want to renew my view and see that Jesus is at work. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above, not things below. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, lay aside all the sin and the weight that so easily ensnares us, ensnares us and, and let us set our eyes, our gaze on Jesus, the author, the finisher, the beginning, the end, the one who started it all and the one who perfects it all, the, uh, the, the author and the finisher of our faith. We need to set our gaze on Jesus. We need to renew our view. If we're going to live in sync with the will of God, then we need to see God as more than just a footnote to our life, more than just an appendage to our week, more than just a day rather than a daily routine. We need to see God as the God who has acted, the living God. We check our focus, we renew our view, and then we line up with God. 
Oh my goodness, you want to know what gave power to the sling that, that David was using? It wasn't his skill, it was his allegiance. He had lined up with the living God. He said, this Philistine is attacking God. I'm not going to stand for it anymore. I'm going to be on God's side. See, the question is not whether God is on my side. That's not the question. That's what we're asking uh, in a two-party system. Oh, is God on their side or God on their side? That's the wrong-headed question. The question is not whether God is on our side. The question is whether I, Eric Thomas, we, First Baptist Norfolk, whether we are on God's side, where we line up with him regardless the cost, regardless the risk, regardless the pain, regardless the struggle, regardless anything, we're going to line up with the living God. And that's what gave David courage, his zeal. For God, he said, hey, listen, it doesn't really matter what happens to me as long as I'm protecting God's honor and fame. It doesn't matter what happens to me. See, David was not consumed with self-interest, at least not at this stage in his life. David was consumed with God's honor. He had lined up with God. Who, to whom does your allegiance belong? I mean, ask yourself that. To whom? Does your allegiance belong? If you're like most people, your allegiance belongs to you. It's my side. I stand up for me. If I don't stand up for me, nobody else will stand up for me. So I better stand up for me. Where did you learn such silliness? Not from God's word. See, the question is not whether or not I stand up for myself. That's not the goal. The goal is that I stand up for God. It's not about what I'm entitled to. It's what God deserves. This is what the person after God's own heart does. He sacrifices in service. Anytime we decide that that my way is the most important way, we have exalted ourselves, we have polluted our hearts with self-interest and sin. I mean, this is, this is what Philippians 2 is about. Philippians 2, it says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who came as a sacrifice, who came in service, came as, as a servant and being found in likeness as a, a man. He, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, that's who Jesus is. And so leading up to verse 5, here's what, what Paul writes. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. I want you to hear that because this is not a codicil to our uh, everyday life. This is, the, this is the everyday life we're supposed to be living. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. or No decision, no action, no pursuit. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more important than himself. Is that your attitude? See, this is what it means to line up with God. It's not just saying, I'm on God's team. Means actually adjusting your perspective. It's adjusting your actions so that you are living in line with God's will. Does that make sense? 
So here's part of our challenge. See, part of our challenge is we don't like to give up stuff. That's what Saul was all about. Saul just said, I'm not going to give up stuff. I want to protect what I've got. And all the while, he was giving up everything. That's what happens to us. God's calling us to, to line up with him with our words, yes, but most importantly with our lifestyle. Line up with God. And when we line up with him, then we can live victoriously. That's where the sling is filled with a stone and loosed and kills a giant. So you don't kill a giant just because you read a Bible story and you call yourself a follower of Jesus. That's not how you kill giants. You kill giants, you live victoriously. When you check what your focus really is, you renew your view so that you are living aligned with the will of God, and every aspect of your life beats for his pleasure. And David, he was all about God's glory. You go down and in verse 45, he said, David said to the Philistine, now, now he's talking to Goliath now. This is his first conversation with Goliath. 17 verse 45, David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. Why? Down at the end. It says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. When our heart is in sync with God, then his honor is more important than our safety. His power is more present than our skill. His fame is at stake, not ours. In each and every circumstance we face, our goal is God's glory and fame for all to see. And we will be victorious. Verse 50 tells the tale that David approached Goliath and killed him. God brings victory when our heart is in sync with him. And that is the point. God gives victory. When our heart, our life, is in sync with his heart. And it all begins with Jesus. See, don't you understand? It's not just reforming our viewpoints. It's not just uh, embracing a moral code of conduct. But it's really living each moment in dependence and in relationship with Jesus. It's understanding that he is our only hope. He is our hope for forgiveness of our sin. He is our hope for strength in life and peace in everyday circumstance. He is our hope for victory. He alone can give us a heart after God's own heart. But the good news is that when we have Jesus, we have everything that we've ever needed. So let's turn and let's trust in Jesus today. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, in these few moments as we respond to your word, I pray that you would speak and speak powerfully to us. God, as we reflect on the gift 
of life, that you've given us a new heart, that you provided for us through Jesus, I pray that we would celebrate as we sing, that we would celebrate who you are, who you've made us to be, and who you equip us to be. May we turn to you, Lord Jesus, trust in you, Lord Jesus, cry out to you for help, Lord Jesus. Even now, will you help us check our focus and renew our view, help for us to line up with God and his heart so we might live victoriously. God, do that mighty work of grace in us. Oh God, all our hope is found in Jesus. As we sing about it, let us not only understand it, but celebrate it. Not only celebrate it, but determine to live it. I pray that you'd kill some giants today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.